All right, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to get a glimpse into heaven. Who wants to get a glimpse into heaven this morning? All right, we're going to take a look. We're going to, we're going to hear some sounds from heaven, some sights from heaven. And here's my prayer this morning. My prayer is we don't just go visit and get a glimpse of what heaven will be like. My prayer is that it changes the way that we live every day in the here and the now in light of where we're going. Amen? So the greater glimpse and understanding we have of heaven, the greater impact it ought to have our lives here on earth. Let's pray and we'll dig into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We also want to pray for the offerings today that you would use them for your kingdom and for your glory. And Lord, I pray that man would decrease, your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. So Lord, I pray that you would minister to every heart. We thank you for everyone who's here. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Okay, so we know if you've been going through Revelation with us, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, we're verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We started in Matthew and we come to Revelation 4. Now Revelation 1... We see the picture of Jesus in heaven. We know that the outline for Revelation is Revelation 1.19. The things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. And we saw in chapter 2 and 3, the church age. We see the letter to the seven churches. And at the end of chapter 3, we see John being caught up into heaven. At the beginning of chapter 4, we saw this last week. Now, some of you may disagree with this, and that's Okay. But I truly believe that's the clearest picture, one of the clearest pictures of the fact that the church will be raptured. Because we see the church mentioned 19 times in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Chapter 4, John is caught up and has, is seeing things from a heavenly perspective. And we never see the church mentioned again until the second coming of Christ. So we see that the church is snatched away. And now we see, we're going to get in chapter 4 and 5, we continue in chapter 4 and 5, we're going to see kind of a heavenly perspective. And then we get to chapter 6, we're going to see the righteous judgment of God upon the earth. Now, we know that our God desires that none should perish, no, not one. He loves us so much, he'd rather die than live without us, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. And while he's a loving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God, he's also a holy God. You know, the thing that's talked about most, the attribute that's talked about most in the Bible is the holiness of God. And because he is holy, he cannot have sin in his presence. If there was one sin in heaven, we'd have earth part two. Amen? It was one sin in the garden that brought the destruction upon this planet. And so there can be no sin in heaven, but we're all sinners. And that's why Jesus came to suffer and die, to wash away our sins, that we can be in presence of Almighty God. Amen? And last week, we did look at the picture of heaven, just the beginning of that, as John was in the presence, we saw the presence of Almighty God on the throne. The focus of heaven is the throne. It's Almighty God. When he's talking about being caught up into heaven, he doesn't talk about the streets of gold. He doesn't talk about the pearly gates. He talks about the throne of God, because that's where our focus is going to be when we get to heaven. It's going to be on Almighty God. Amen? And then he talked about these two colors that radiated from the throne, if you'll remember. One was a jasper stone, like a diamond, bright and, and white and pure. And then the sardis stone was a red stone. And I think when we look at the white stone, it really pictures the holiness of God. And when the holiness of God is revealed, it reveals our sin and our need for a Savior. And I love that the other color emanating from the throne is red because that's a picture of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. See, His holiness shows us we're sinners, but His shed blood shows us how we can be redeemed. And praise God for that. Amen? 
And the jasper and the sardis stone, as we talked about last week, were the first and last stones that went on the breastplates of the priest, all pointing to the great high priest, Jesus Christ, and it points to the fact that he's the first and the last. If you were here last week, you also remember there was a rainbow around the throne. And what's that rainbow? It's a promise of God's covenant. In, the, in, the, in Noah's flood, he gave us the rainbow to say that, to promise us, make covenant with us, that he would never destroy the earth by flooding it again. But that rainbow around the throne shows us that God is faithful to all of his promises and all of his covenants. Amen? But you'll remember why the destruction came in Noah's day. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Debauchery was running amok. People were godless, so God brought righteous judgment. But when he did, he delivered Noah and his family out of it. Well, guess what? There's another judgment coming. It won't be coming through a flood, but it will be coming through what we will study from chapter 6 through 19 in a great tribulation that makes Noah's flood look like camp. Amen? It's going to be, it looks, make it look like nothing in comparison to what's coming. So that brings us to this morning's text. And if you have your outline, please grab it. I title the message, Caught Up in Heaven, a heavenly glimpse that impacts our earthly behavior. When I do outlines, I always make them applicational to my life and to yours. And so my prayer is, as we go through this text, that these things will be applied to my life and applied to yours. Here's the five points we're going to look at. So as we look at heaven, as we get a glimpse of heaven... May it be, first be a, a reminder of our heavenly inheritance. Hey guys, how many of you are going to heaven? Okay, should we be excited about that? Can I get an amen to that? We're going to heaven. Every time, I say this all the time at work, it drives people crazy and I love it, I don't care. But here's the thing, people will say stuff like, man, did you see the new commission rates? Dude, we're going to heaven. Amen. Next time you're pumping gas and you're getting upset when it goes over $100, hey guys, we're going to heaven. Whatever trials we may go through in this life, we need to have a heavenly perspective. And my prayer is at the end of this morning's text, you'll have a reminder of your heavenly inheritance. You're a joint heir with Christ. You're going to be clothed in righteousness. We're going to live with him forever and ever and ever and ever. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering, no more temptation. Ever thought about that? Thank you, Jesus. We will eat in heaven, though. Did you know that? No cholesterol in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you are like, that's heaven right there. Let me write that down. Secondly, as we get a heavenly glimpse, I pray that we have a renewed reverence for the power and presence of God. You know, our God is an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. He's not kind of mighty. He's almighty. Amen. And, and, and in his power and in his presence, guys, we should be blown away by the greatness of the God that we serve. And guys, we only have great problems if we serve a small God, but we don't serve a small God. We serve a great God. Amen. And he's greater than anything you will face. And we should have awe and reverence for his power and his presence. Thirdly, a heavenly calmness in the midst of the earthly storms. It's good to know that God is in control. It's good to know, is our world a little messed up right about now? Tom touched on some of those things, and, and it's so sad to see the things that are drawing people away from the truth, where feelings and my truth are becoming you know, the things that people pursue, and there's no peace in that. There's no calmness in that. But guess what? In the midst of the greatest storms on this planet, 
There's a calmness that comes from knowing who's in control. Amen? Fourthly, a deeper understanding of the greatness of our God. We're going to see the, the angels in heaven. And do you know what they do all day, every day, all the time, every moment, never stopping? What do they do? They worship. And they are way more intelligent than us. Amen? We live in a world that thinks intelligence and faith are on two opposite ends of the spectrum. People act like if you're really wise, you wouldn't be stupid enough to need a crutch like religion. People find out I'm a pastor, that's questions I get. And they'll say, oh, well, oh, you're a pastor, I'm on the other side, I'm a scientist. You know, like, you know, I believe in science, you know, I, I trust the science. I'm like, well, guess what, our God is omni-science. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And we don't check our brains at the door, and we don't believe in spite of the evidence. And then I'll just start breaking down, let's talk about the second law of thermodynamics, or let's talk about the law of entropy. Let's talk about some things that, that, that wipe out your entire basis for believing that there's no creator. Amen. amen. So we need to understand and have a deeper understanding of the greatness of our God. And we are not idiots because we love God. Anybody who does not know God needs to be saved. And the Bible says those who, the, 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 fool, the foolish man claims to be wise. And they claim to be wise, they become as fools. And so, again, I know that some people get caught up in this stuff because they're taught it by the world so much that they start to believe it. We need to break through that and teach them the truth that we serve, again, archaeologically proven to be true, prophetically proven to be true, historically proven to be true. Every time they unshovel a shovel of dirt in Israel, it's more proof that Jesus Christ is God. Amen? And so don't be shy about that. Don't back away from somebody who gets all intellectual on you. Again, proclaiming to you be wise, they become as fools. We need to pray for them because they're in that situation because that's often what they were taught. And nobody ever stood up and told them the truth. And that's what we're called to do. Amen? And then finally, a heart of worship and complete surrender. Let me just say this. And you know I love you. Even if you're new here, I love you. Glad you're here. If you don't worship, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know the one thing we're going to do in heaven that we do on earth? What is it? Worship. We're going to worship. And you know what? When you, to know him better is to love him more. That's why we read the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I said this the other night, that when you open this up, you're not reading Moby Dick. This is not a book written by a man. This is almighty God, the creator of the universe, gave you a love letter. And when you open this up to read it, you're having intimate fellowship with almighty God. And it's the only book that not only do you read it, but it reads you and it changes your heart. Amen? But the enemy wants you to keep from opening this book above all else. And so we need to read the word. And when we do, we're going to grow more in love with him. When we grow more in love with him, well, guess what? We're going to have a heart to worship him more. Amen? So let's begin there in Revelation chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. And it says there, Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Around the throne were 24 lesser thrones, much lesser thrones. Amen. And the word there is there were 24 elders. Now, some people struggle with who these people are. But it's very clear to me. Some think it's angels, but it's not angels. And, and we'll see why as we go through the text some more. So an elder is somebody, that word is there is presbyteros, where we get the term Presbyterian. You know, the Presbyterian church is called the Presbyterian church because it's elder ruled. Episcopal means 
uh, pastor, bishop, so that they literally named their churches after the type of government that they have. You ever heard of a congregational church? That's where the congregation votes on everything. We ain't doing none of that around here. Can I get any minute of that? We ain't voting on nothing. See how those votes are working out in the world, right? Can I get any minute of that? We don't need to vote. We just trust God. Amen? So elders are spiritually mature men called by God to be leaders in the church. The word is interchangeable with pastor and bishop. So just who are these 24 elders? So the, so the commentators, I call them the usual potatoes, right? A commentator, right? So these guys, you, you open it up and you read it. And, you know, some of them believe they're angelic beings or glorified human beings. It seems clear to me that they are human beings. It tells us, in, in why 24? Why 24 elders? Well, there's a couple different reasons why that could be. First of all, there's 12 tribes of Israel and there were 12 apostles. And what I truly believe, that's a picture of the old covenant saints and the new covenant saints. And so these 24 elders around the throne represent people who got saved in the old covenant waiting for the coming Messiah and those of us who have been saved after Jesus came. Amen? That makes perfect sense to me. Uh, they are clothed in white robes. Angels are sometimes presented in white robes, but we know the saints also have white robes as a picture of the righteousness that we have in Christ. We'll see this in Revelation 7. Here's what it says. So after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one can number of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches. See, Jack, you knew they were there, right? Amen. Palm branches. Jack used to attend church here. He died before he was 100. He hated palm trees. He loves them now. But here's the thing. <laughs> with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the nations, tribes, people, and tongues clearly points to those clothed in white being representation of all of God's people being around the throne, worshiping Him. And notice that that takes place in heaven, while the great tribulation is taking place on earth. Notice they had crowns of gold on their heads. This gets talked a lot about in scripture. The word for crown here is Stephanos, which is a crown that is won through a victory. So, so you, want, you ran a race, you won the race, and you're given this crown. So it's not a crown of royalty as much as it's a crown of, of uh, again, accomplishment. And whoever these people are, they had run the race well. And this is the reward for faithful human saints. And nowhere in scripture do we see angels wearing crowns. So this is clear to me. These are not angels. These are people that lived on earth who are now seated on thrones around the throne, worshiping the true and living God. Finally, when you get to Revelation chapter 5, it makes it clear that these are saints, not angels. It says, thus a picture of the, again, it's a picture of the raptured church in heaven prior to the pouring out of God's righteous judgment. And these 24 angels are singing praise songs to Jesus. It says this, for you were slain and redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Who sings that? Angels don't get redeemed. Human beings do. Amen. So they were redeemed. They were forgiven. Redeemed by your blood. So again, it must be saints. God doesn't redeem angels because angels don't sin. Now, to some degree they do in a different way. And we're going to see that when we get further on in the text because that's what Satan did, right? When he got cast out of heaven. 
So the angels are not redeemed, only humans are, and it's so good to hear every tongue, tie, people, and nation. So it's not just talking about uh, a select chosen few, like not just Israel. God has a plan for Israel, and God's still using Israel. It's a representation of all believers. So therefore we see here is a redeemed, glorified man seated and throned with the Lord on lesser thrones to be sure, but on thrones nonetheless. So we are joint heirs with the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us. We are joint heirs with the Lord. We are going to inherit what the Lord has inherited. Not because we deserve it, but because of who we are in Him. So the application is give up the throne now and be seated with Him in heaven, or remain on the throne now and be separated Him for all eternity. See, we all have some, someone on the throne of our lives. It's either us or it's the Lord. And if, we're, if we are truly born-again believers, if we surrender our life to Him, then He comes to rule and reign. And He's on the throne of my life even now. And eternal life doesn't start when we die. It starts the moment we give our life to Jesus Christ. Because we're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. We've become new creations in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, who's a down payment on heaven. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And no one can ever snatch us out of His hand. And when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory. And we're going to see our Savior face to face. Amen? And we should be rejoicing in that greatly. So point number one there, we see, again, a reminder of our heavenly inheritance. Point number two, a renewed reverence for the power and presence of God. Look at verse five. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. First, let's look at, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. From the sights of heaven now to the sounds of heaven. So around the throne, there's lightning and thunderings. And what this reminded me of in a very uh, clear way was Mount Sinai. When on Mount Sinai, when the children of Israel come out of the land of Egypt, and, and now they're around Sinai, and the voice of God speaks from Mount Sinai. And when he speaks, he speaks in such a powerful way that all the people are scared to death to the point where they say, hey, Moses, dude, here's the deal. You go talk to him and then you come back down here and tell us what he says, because if he keeps talking, we're all going to die. Now, you know what that is? That's the power and presence of Almighty God. Amen. Just being near his presence. We know when Moses went up on the mountain, it got near to God and it was able to see the backside of his glory. You guys remember that? He put him in the cleft of a rock, covered him with his hand and just let him see the backside of his glory. Moses came down from Mount Sinai glowing in the dark. He was literally radiating the glory of God. And so that picture of Sinai is just a small glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. That red and white cube coming off the throne of God, but then there's lightnings and thunderings and the voice of Almighty God. Few things are as awe-inspiring as a thunderstorm. My wife and I lived in Kansas City for, one, uh, for about six months back in the 80s, and we were there during storm season, and I thought I'd been through storms till I moved to Kansas City. And those storms were so gnarly, literally, it sounded like a train was literally driving through my house. It was so loud, and the lightning was so frequent that it was like daytime. 
You could go outside and it was just, it was just lighting up and the rain was going sideways. And here's the whole point. Nobody sleeps through that. Nobody can ignore that. And when we get to heaven, we're going to hear the voice that cuts right through us. Amen? His presence is going to be awe-inspiring. It cannot be ignored. It's the focus of everyone in heaven. And man, I cannot wait to be around that throne. How about you? I long for it. The voice of God cuts right through us. Such an awesome power cannot be ignored. It's a way of humbling, even striking fear into you. No way for you to stand up and fight against it. You can only hide or take shelter and try to wait for it to pass. And again, that's what happened at Sinai. But that's not what's going to happen in heaven because we're going to have our focus only on him. The lightning... And again, in Exodus, it says, Now all the witness, the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, You speak with us and we'll hear, but don't let him speak lest we die. The good news is when we get to heaven, there'll be no fear of death anymore. Amen? Nobody in heaven dies. You know, the results are in. One out of every one person on this planet dies. And nobody in heaven dies. Amen? So that same awe-inspiring power, again, is pictured here around the throne of God. And we as redeemed saints, this is amazing to me, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Where they were petrified and afraid, once we get to heaven, we won't be petrified and afraid anymore. We'll be able to draw near that voice and that awesome power and that light that resonates from the throne. We can come near to him. Why? Because we've been redeemed, because we've been forgiven, because there's no sin in us and we can come into his presence. And boy, we don't deserve that, but how glorious that will be. Amen. Then he says, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. Seven in the Bible is the number of completeness or perfection. And the Holy Spirit so often is represented by fire in the Bible. Remember in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it said they were like tongues of what? Tongues of fire. And God's presence upon them in the person of the Holy Spirit was represented by this fire being upon them. This speaks again of the fullness of the Holy Spirit being before the throne. See, the seven spirits speak of the Holy Spirit in his fullness because seven is the number of completeness. You know, what's interesting. We know that the Lord told, God told uh, Moses that the tabernacle was a model of heaven. And when they created the tabernacle, one of the implements in the tabernacle is the golden lampstand. And the golden lampstand is what kept it lit. You know, it's the light of the world, right? And that's what it's a picture of. Jesus is the light of the world. And so we see that picture and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the tabernacle. And again, we see the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit in heaven. So when we're in heaven, there's going to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all there. There's only, there's only one God in three persons. How do we fully describe that? We can't. Why? Because we're finite men and women trying to understand infinite God just think of this. God is outside of time and space. So wait a minute. Where he is, there's no space. If there's no space, what in the world is there? Here's the answer. I don't know. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> but here's what I do know. Our God is mighty and awesome and powerful. And when we get to heaven, it's going to blow doors on anything we've ever experienced in our life. And no one's going to get to heaven and be disappointed. Amen? 
we're going to get there. And, you know, people say, well, what are we going to do in heaven? We're just going to sing all the time. How boring is that? We're going to sing all the time, play harps and float on clouds. Guys, let me tell you right now, whatever God has us doing in heaven is going to be so amazing. Amen. People are like, well, am I going to play golf in heaven? Am I going to shoot hoops in heaven? Maybe. I don't know. But here's the reality. Whatever we're doing in heaven is going to be amazing. And we're going to be blessed to be there. And we're, never, we're not going to be bored for one moment. Amen? I can't wait. I'm looking forward to heaven. God is good. I had a, by the way, side note, pray for Summer. Summer's a gal that called me up. She's an atheist. Had to find a pastor online. And she's going to work for a mortician uh, for a funeral home and needed to know how they could better react with pastors uh, when it came to funeral services. And then she started asking about funeral services. And we talked about Jesus for about half an hour. And I kept telling her, I'm going to pray for you, Summer. I'm going to tell my whole church tomorrow to pray for you that you're going to get saved. Can I get an amen? amen? And I'm looking forward to the day when Summer's sitting right there and we're talking about Jesus. So pray for Summer. That's called a divine appointment. Amen. God brings them our way. So this tongues of fire speaks of the fullness of God in the fullness on Father and the fullness on the throne, the Holy Spirit in his fullness before the throne. And in chapter five, come back next week, we're going to see Jesus again seated again next to the throne, seated on the right hand of the Father, the Lamb of God. So point number two there, a renewed reverence for the power and presence of God. Again, just that that awe inspiring, the voice of God coming from it, the, the radiate light, the power in his presence is going to be on belief. Point number three, a heavenly calmness in the midst of the storm. Look at verse six. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of it, the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes front and back. We'll get to that in a moment. Let's talk about the sea of glass. Now, is the sea a large body of water? That's what it typically is. So does it just look like glass or is it made of glass? We'll find out when we get to heaven. Now, I'm a little too old for this. Last time I did it, I broke my ribs, so I kind of stopped. But I used to be a pretty avid uh, and pretty gnarly water ski guy. And I used to love to go out in the water. My, one of my favorite things was to go houseboating. I had a bunch of friends when they got married, we would do houseboating for their, you know, uh, bachelor whatever thing, right? And we would go out on the houseboat. And I was that guy that when the sun first came up, it's about five o'clock in the morning and there's no boats out there yet. And that water looks like glass from one end to the other. I'd be like, I need a driver and a flag dude. Get up. Am I going out on the glass? And there's nothing better than that glass, right? And so it could be a sea that is just simply so calm that it's just glassy as can be. And see what's happening when that radiant light is coming from the throne of God and it's bouncing off of that water, off of that sea of glass, and it magnifies what's coming from the throne of God. It's just going to be beyond anything we can comprehend in these finite human bodies. Amen? I'm longing to see that. And again, whether it's a sea that looks like glass or it's actually made out of glass, again, I just look forward to seeing it in heaven. Again, in my finite frailties to envision it, I know I can't do it justice. And again, I envision the saints around the shores of the sea. 
The Bible tells us in Revelation 5, it's millions upon millions upon millions. So there's going to be millions of people around that crystal sea, worshiping the Lord, face towards the throne of grace and seeing these colors coming off of the throne and bouncing brilliantly off that sea and again, just consuming us. But I think this also speaks of the calmness in heaven because there's no more storms and there's no more trials. Just as the everlasting peace and calmness of being in the Lord's presence forever. And again, that model of heaven, there's one thing, there's a a bronze laver, and it can be called a sea. And, and what would happen in that bronze laver is after they would make the sacrifices and the priests were covered in blood, they would go cleanse themselves in that bronze laver. It would, it would, and they could see their own reflection, and they would put their hands in that bronze laver, a picture of baptism, and it just cleansed away all their, all, you know, that, that blood was wiped away, and they were made righteous, and they were made holy, and they made clean, if you will. And for us, that sea is going to be crystal clear. And we're going to be able to see into it that we, we, are, we are sinners no more. We've been forgiven. Amen. The presence of God, the power of God, we've been redeemed. I am so thankful. And God is good all the time. Amen. Washing by the water of the word of God, it cleanses away our sins. So point number three there, a heavenly calmness in the midst of the storm. We get to heaven, no more storms, no more trials, just everlasting peace and calmness and being in the presence of God. You know, for so many of, I, in this room, just in this room, I know a lot of people in here are dealing with anxiety, fear, depression, worry. It's all part of living in this world, and it's all part of what happens when we get consumed by it. And again, God's not giving us a spirit of fear, and God can help us. Depression's real. I know that very clearly from my son Mark, who's now in heaven, and I don't take it lightly. And if you're struggling with that, we want to pray for you, and we want to help you. Can I get an amen to that? And we don't take that lightly, but here's the good news. There's no depression in heaven. There's no anxiety in heaven. There's no fear in heaven. There's no worry in heaven. There's no more goodbyes in heaven. Never have to say goodbye to the ones you love. Amen? Longing for that. Point number four, sorry. Sorry about that. Grief is not linear, it just happens. It just happens sometimes. And uh, just thinking about seeing Mark again. So point number four there, a deeper understanding of the greatness of our God. A deeper understanding of the greatness of our God. No matter how great you think our God is, he's greater than that. Amen? We cannot comprehend how great he is. We cannot comprehend how holy he is, how righteous he is, how loving he is, how merciful he is. We only get a slight understanding of it. But let's take a look here at the rest of verse. We're going to go from verse 6 down to verse 8. But the second part of verse 6 says this. It says there, before the throne was closed, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and the back. What in the world is that? (laughs) Sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie, right? From previous texts in Ezekiel, we understand these creatures to be angels, cherubim, spectacular angelic beings who surround the throne of God. And according to Ezekiel 28, Lucifer at one point was one of these angels who was around the throne of God. 
And these angels that surround the throne of God, Ezekiel, and we know that Lucifer, again, many believe he was the worship leader amongst these angels. And he saw, and what's amazing to me is he saw God in all of his glory. He had a glimpse of God in his fullness. And sadly, Lucifer, like, mo- like most of us on this planet, wanted to be God himself. And in wanting to be God himself, he brought a revolt against Almighty God, and sadly, a third of the angels went with him. And they were cast out of heaven. And now he knows that he's going to hell and going to spend eternity in the lake of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he has one goal, and that's to take as many of you with him. And if he cannot take you to hell with him, he wants to distract you from doing what God has called you to do here, or have you become disqualified to serve God by drawing you away into the very things that will destroy you on this planet. Amen? So we find a spiritual battle, and we often give Satan too much credit, and sometimes we ignore him like he doesn't exist. But here's the reality. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And that God, whose reflection is coming off of that crystal sea that brings calmness in heaven, can bring us calmness here because our God is greater, and Satan is a defeated foe, and he who is in the Lord, those of us who've been born again, we have victory over sin, the flesh, and the devil. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to be encouraged by that, but also know that it's real. He wants to draw you away. He lies to you every day. He's the father of lies. God will forgive you. You can just keep doing it. Talked to a guy last night, struggling. Doesn't go to church here, lives far away. Called me up. We talked for quite a while. And just remind him, that's Satan. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy you from being used for the kingdom of God. And guys, you know what's the greatest defense against that? Walking in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do we walk in the spirit? We spend time in the word of God. We spend time on our knees in prayer. We ask God to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit because that's what we need. Amen? But we know that these are angelic beings. Cherubim were also prominent in the design of the tabernacle. When you go in the tabernacle, they had the, the bottom layer had woven angels in it. When you go into the Holy of Holies, Again, picture of the resurrection of Christ and the presence of God. You have two angels or cherubim on the top of the ark. And so the angels are very prevalent, again, in the tabernacle, which is also a picture of heaven. They have eyes in the front and full eyes all around and within. Their multitude of eyes indicates that these living creatures are not, again, instruments or robots, but they know and they understand. They have greater insight and perception than any man. So that means that they see everything and they know everything in a sense, right? That's what this represents. So the ones who see everything and know everything that are are more intelligent than any man who's ever lived, what do they spend their time doing? What do they spend their time doing? Worshiping. Worshiping. So the most intelligent Beings maybe ever created outside of God himself spent all their time worshiping. And there's another blow to the people that say, well, if you had any intellect, you'd be worshiping. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm so smart that I know that I don't need God. Claiming to be wise, you become as a fool. The fool that said in his heart, there is no God. Amen. Again, a lot of these people have never been exposed to the truth, so they're believing the lie. And we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, and we should never be self-righteous. We should recognize they need Jesus. But here's these intelligent beings who see and know everything, and they spend all of their time worshiping the Lord. Why is that? 
Because there's no more intelligent thing on this planet to do than worship Almighty God. Amen? Credible intelligence and understanding live in existence to worship God. All failure to truly worship is rooted in a lack of seeing and understanding who God is. It comes from spiritual blindness. When we don't want to worship, it's because we just don't know Him. Oh, I don't like to worship. Well, you don't love God much. Some of you are going, oh, I just don't like to worship because of my voice. You know, it's, a sweet, it's, a sweet, it's sweet to the Lord. It's a beautiful noise to the Lord, amen? Yes. Worship Him. Worshiping God is not just an action of the you know, empty-headed superstitious, as one guy once told me. As Christians are portrayed by some, well, that's just your crutch, man. You got to have a crutch. I said, no, I need a stretcher, bro, because I couldn't limp into heaven without Jesus. Can I get him into that? The reality is there's nothing smarter or more insightful than to live your life doing what God created you to do. I said that to, my, to one of, uh, a friend of mine the other day. I said, you know, the, the, one of the greatest blessings is in my life right now is I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And my prayer is that's true for all of us. Can I get amen to that? Amen. To walk in intimate fellowship with the God who created you. There's nothing greater than to walk into intimate fellowship with the God who created you. There's nothing more foolish or less insightful than to reject the one who created you and is calling upon your life and to spend your life pursuing things which are perishing. Let me say that again. Nothing more foolish or less insightful than to reject the one who created you, his calling upon your life, and to spend your life pursuing that which is perishing. Are you pursuing that which is eternal or that which is passing away? Now, it's going to go on to talk about these living creatures. Look what it says here. You, you were confused before? Ready? Okay. <laughs> the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. We're going to go over this morning, so just be prepared, okay? Because we're going to teach this. Can I get an amen to that? You guys all right with that? If you need to leave, go and be warm, be filled, and God bless you. But here's the thing. John describes four cherubim, each with a different face. We know from Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, that each of these cherubim have four faces. And at the moment, John sees each of the four different faces looking in his direction. The significance of the four faces is inter interpreted in many ways. I'll give you a few that I saw in the usual potatoes, right? Here's some things they said. And, and I think a lot of them do apply. First of all, some see the four different faces as symbols of Jesus represented in each of the gospel. In Matthew, Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah because he's the king of the Jews, fulfillment of prophecy. In Mark, Jesus is a humble servant. Again, some believe the picture of this ox or this calf because they are the most humble of all the servants who do the most work. In Luke, he's, re he's referred to as the son of man, one of the faces of the face of a man. And again, in John, Jesus is the man from heaven, speaking of the son of God, comfortable in the heavenlies. Okay, that one, okay, maybe. Uh, others believe that these all point to the fact that he's the king. Lions are the king of the of the jungle, right? A calf is the strongest of domesticators, an ox of the domesticated animals. Uh, the man is the highest of all creation, and the eagle is the king of all birds because he flies the highest and has the greatest impact. Each has a king. Now, I think all those are fine. Here's the one I think really fits. When you go to Numbers chapter 2, and I, I was going to bring it, but we don't have TVs. We'll, we, we'll have them next week when we're in the 
in, back in the tent. When you look at Numbers chapter 2 and you read it, you're like, it looks like an instruction manual that would come with 900 screws. You always know you're in trouble when you're assembling stuff, but how many screws are in the bag? Can I get an amen to that? My wife had me assembling. She goes, these are just two side tables. I open it up. Oh, no, because you can see how many screws there are. But when you read Numbers chapter 2, it says, okay, and these three, these three tribes perpendicular to the center of the thing go to the west, and then there's this many in the tribe, and you read it, and you're like, what does that mean? And then there's this many in the three tribes, and they, they go this way to the, with the tabernacle in the middle, and they go out to this side, and the presence of God is over here, and you're like, okay, why is it? So? And then these three tribes are to the north, and then this is a smaller amount of tribes, but this is so many people. And then these three, three tribes are down to the south of the, cross, of the, you know, the um, tabernacle, and then you look at all of it, and you're like, why did I just read that? And they're perpendicular and east and west. Well, here's what happens. When you read it and you take the amount going out this way and the amount going out this way and the amount going this way and the amount going this way, what you recognize is that when God looks down from heaven, he sees the cross. And as they travel through the wilderness, they were traveling in the shape of a cross. Because it's all point Bible rocks. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. But here's what's radical. Each of those sides had one of the tribes that was leading the way. One of the sets of tribes had Judah leading the way. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The other set of tribes had Ephraim leading the way. Ephraim, their flag had an ox on it. Okay, so the Judah, their tribe had a lion on their flag, and Ephraim had an ox on their flag. The tribe of Reuben led another group, and there was a man on the flag and the tribe of Dan, again, was leading one other portion, and on their flag was an eagle. Okay? It says that that picture of what we see on earth is what we see in heaven, and they were marching in the shape of a cross with the four faces of the angels in heaven around the throne of God, worshiping him, the Bible rocks. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Looking down from heaven, that's what the Lord saw. This is good stuff. Verse 8, four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The word, you know, six wings means they could move quickly. They could get around. They could, they could move. They could be anywhere they wanted to go. They could move very quickly. And yet these creatures of great intellect not only remained around the throne, but they're busy doing one thing, worshiping the Lord. So they could be anywhere they want. And they have great intellect. They don't know all things, but that's error. They know, but they know more than any of us, right? And they're flying around. They could be anywhere they want. And what do they do? They remain around the throne, worshiping Almighty God. Which means the best place we can ever be is around the throne, worshiping God. There's no better place to be. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else that's better than that. Amen? So we're at our final point. May not go that far over. So point number four there says, deeper understanding of the greatness of our God. Again, we see again that it's not, a, it's not intelligent. They, they had all the intelligence and they're around his throne. They, didn't want to, they could move quickly in any direction and want to be around his throne. The picture of the angels in heaven is pictured in them walking in the cross when they were going through the wilderness. And the final point here, a heart of worship and complete surrender. Look at verse 8. But by the way, 
the second part of verse 8. And it says, And that they did not rest day or night, singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then in heaven, they sing nonstop because they don't sleep. Which means when we get to heaven, we're not going to sleep. Some of you are all bummed. I love my naps. <laughs> Do I get on my naps now? I'm going to be able to eat all the tri-tip on one. Why can't I have a nap after that? In heaven, our bodies won't need to be recharged. In heaven, our bodies won't need to be fixed. It won't need to be, you know, none of that will happen. These angelic beings have one-track mind. Their ministry is uh, to offer uninterrupted praise to God. They dwell in His presence, have intimate knowledge of who God is, and that intimacy, knowing God and His character, produces nonstop worship. Again, they don't rest day and night, angelic beings, and most likely, again, all of us will not sleep. They do not rest. They have no rest, nor unrest either. There is a sweet contentment in their continual praising of God. These are beings, again, that know Him best, and they continually worship Him. Now, what do they sing? Holy, holy, holy. God's holy nature and character is declared and emphasized with a three-time repetition. In Hebrew, if you said something twice... Barely, barely, right? When you say something twice, it means like pay attention. This is significant. This is of great importance. Well, saying it three times, holy, holy, holy. Three, four repetition is rare. And it calls attention to the infinite holiness of our God. See, our God is a God of love. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is long-suffering. He is faithful. But above all, He is holy. Above, his grace is, is infinite, but his holiness is greater. His mercy is infinite, but his holiness is greater. He is long-suffering, but his holiness is greater. He is faithful, but his holiness is greater. Guys, when we think of our God, Satan will want us to remember that he's forgiving. So we can just go on sinning and knowing he'll forgive us. But what we need to be reminded of is that he is holy. And it breaks his heart when we sin. Can I get an amen to that? It grieves him. And so when we look at God, yes, He's gracious and merciful and forgiving. He redeemed us, but we need to be reminded that above all, He's holy, He's perfect, He's sinless, He's blameless, He's righteous. He cannot sin. It is contrary to His nature. His holiness is emphasized more in Scripture than any other quality or character. And it's evident not only in heaven, but in His Son who He sent to earth. Amen? He's holy. He's perfect. But he's also holy in his righteous righteous judgment against unbelievers. Amen? Now again, by God's grace alone, we've been delivered from that. And we never should look down on anybody else. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But God is holy, and as his followers, we're called to be holy. Amen? Amen? You've heard me say that God put this on my heart a few years ago. Holiness for me, grace for everyone else. Where just, Lord... Show me any wicked way in me, anything. Just keep me on short accounts with you, God. I want to walk in the center of your will. And then I want to look at everyone else and just treat them with grace. And here's what most of the world does. Grace for me, holiness for everyone else. I, well, yeah, you know, I'm just a victim and I need grace, man. You know, and you're wrong. You're a mess. All of you guys are a mess. You know, and that's that mentality. And, and we ought to be just the opposite. Holiness for me. And, and he's a holy God. Notice it says, Lord God Almighty. Almighty. Again, not kind of mighty. Amen. He's all-ruling, omnipotent, absolute, and universally sovereign. That means he is in control of everything. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
Now, he allows sinful man to have sinful choices that have impact, but God is in control, and nothing can come into your life without passing through the hands of God first. And knowing that should give us peace, even in the greatest trials that we may go through in life, knowing that God will use it for his glory if we will but let him. Amen? Amen. One of the things that God put on my heart about going full-time is I'm going to apply to be a chaplain with the Ventura County Sheriff's Department. And the reason I'm going to do that is I know that the suffering I've been through can comfort somebody else. Because they're going to, those are the guys who get called when somebody dies or when the sheriffs are going through difficult times that need to be counseled. It's a volunteer job. And I'm going to apply for it. Hopefully, I'll be able to allow me to do it. But to me, it's like, guys, why are we here? What are we, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? And we want to allow it. That's, knowing that God's in control and he's faithful means that God took my son to heaven when he wanted to, and he knew before the foundation of the world, and God wants to use that to minister to somebody else. And whatever trials you've been through in your life, God wants to use those for his glory, if you will but let him. Amen? Because you have things that you've gone through that allow you to minister to people in a way that maybe I can't, and I might have something that you can't. There's sympathy. I, I feel bad for you, and there's empathy. I know how you feel. Amen? And so we see here that you know he's in control, and because he is, and it's notice what it says here, who was and is, and is to come. The emphasis is on the infinite, eternal being. Thought behind the meaning of the name Yahweh. He's always been. Always been. Well, where was he? He was there. The people will say this to you. Who created God? <laughs> right? The problem you have is you think everything, uh, you can only think of things that had to be created. He's not created. He's creator. Can I get an amen to that? And he always has been. Where was he 500 billion? He was there. Where was he before? He was there. He was always there. Your head starts to explode. Amen? But again, that's infinite God. We're a finite man. He's always been there. Always will be. It's behind the meaning again of the word Yahweh. Angelic beings, human beings, false gods of this world, our God always has been, always will be, and everything else is finite in a sense, right? At least in their creation. As we contemplate His holiness, His sovereignty, His eternal being, it ought to bring us to a place of unhindered praise and worship. In the midst of our suffering, we need to praise God for it. Why, why could the Apostle Paul, right? We, I didn't read it because I, I, I knew I didn't have a lot of time. But remember, you know, he spends a day and night in the deep and beatings often and scourges often and hunger often. And, and you see all that stuff and you see him still being used mightily by God. Here's why I think one of the biggest reasons was when at Lister, when he was stoned to death, I believe he got a He said there was a man who was caught up into the third heaven. And what I saw, I can't even explain it to you. But after he was thrown, rock sold at him until he died, and then he came back into his body, I believe. He was resurrected, right? They prayed for him, and they don't stop throwing rocks until they know you're dead. So I think he was dead. And he got back up, and what did he do? He went right back into Lystra, and I don't think he even moved. Like, dude, I'm right here. I'm a, I'm, you, know, you can't threaten me with heaven. I've already seen, and it's better. Amen? He says, heaven is far better. And guys, for us as believers, we, we, we look at heaven sometimes, like we grip onto this life as tight as we can. And I think we ought to be faithful while we're here. We need to be good stewards while we're here, but we need to recognize that death for the believer has no sting. Amen. And we're, we're, right now we see him in a glass dimly. And soon we're going to see him face to face. That glass is going to be removed and we're going to see our Savior. I can't wait. Amen. Because it says in verse 9, whenever the living creatures give him glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, 
who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him, who, forever, who lives forever and cast their crowns before the throne. Here's what's happening. The Bible talks about us being given crowns, but when you're given a crown in heaven, you're not going to walk around like polishing it and showing it off, right? Like my, look at my crown. Mine's bigger than your crown. It's because I was so mighty on the planet. Dude, you're wearing a beanie. What did you do? You know what I mean? Right? That mentality. That's not happening in heaven. We're not going to be prideful in heaven because we're not going to be sinful in heaven. Amen? And so when these crowns are given to us, we're going to be blown away that they were given to us. Think about this. Almighty God created you. You know, he gave you life. We sinned. We rebelled against him. Then he came and paid the price for us, paid for our sin, drew us unto himself by the Holy Spirit. We respond. He saves us. He redeems us. Then he gives us gifts. And then the gifts that he gives us, he enables us to use. And then we go out and use them, and he gives us crowns. What an incredible God we serve. But notice what happens to the crowns. When they hear the worship, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they cast their crowns before the throne. They say, Lord, all of this or any good I did is only because of you. And guys, we need to be reminded of that. Amen. If you're good at your job, praise God. And you should be the best worker in the building, but God alone should get the glory, not you, not me. Amen. I was really blessed. I put something on, we have a, a company Facebook page that goes back to people that have worked there forever. And I put that I was retiring and I put a picture of me the day I started and a picture of me now. Whoa. <laughs> Just saying. Okay. <laughs> Things done changed, right? But I got a lot of really nice comments from a lot of people saying, hey, you know, I was really, you really were always helpful. You were such a professional and you really blessed us. And you know, hey, you helped me save my job when I was in trouble by making big sales. It's stuff like that. And those are all appreciated. But in the end, my only response can be to God be all the glory. Because if you're good at something, God gave it to you. And you know when, you want, you know when it gets ruined? When you start taking the credit. God gives you a gift. He paid for it. You didn't. And then he gives it to you. And then you show it off like you had something to do with it. It's all about him. <laughs> Amen. We want to praise him. We want to give back to him in light of all he has given us. You know, when we have more to be thankful for than anyone, the birds sing. Do we have more to be thankful for than the birds that sing? Do we have more to be thankful for than the angels around the throne? What's the answer? They weren't redeemed. We were. Jesus didn't go to the cross for the angels. He went to the cross for us. They sing nonstop. They worship nonstop. We should be worshiping more than them. Because we have more to be thankful for. Can I get an amen to that? And my prayer is, as we're getting this glimpse of heaven, I'm about to finish. As we're getting this glimpse of heaven this morning and what's taking place in heaven, my prayer is it isn't just, hey, I went on a field trip to heaven at church this morning. It was really cool. I can't wait to go there. I hope that's part of it. But what it ought to do is say, in light of where I'm headed, in light of what God has done for me, I'm going to live different until I get there. I want to bring heaven to people that need Jesus. I want to see people saved. I want to see lives transformed. I want to see God glorified. I want to use the gifts God's given me for his kingdom and for his glory. I'm going to spend more time in the word, more time in prayer, more time in worship. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Amen? 
We have so much to be thankful for. We have the most to praise him for. And I love that these elders, these men and women of God, these men of God in this case, who throw their crowns, they cast them, cast, you know, that's where casting crowns, you guys heard of them? Great Christian band, that's where they got their name. It's from that verse, casting our crowns before the Lord. Let's finish up. And it says there, what do they say when they cast their crowns before the Lord? Here's what they say. Now they're around the throne. They've seen the presence of God. Here's what they say. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by you they exist and were created. The first thing they say, you are worthy, O Lord. The word worthy there in Greek is deserving, due reward, suitable for drawing praise. Is he deserving? Then let's, be, let's not be unashamed to tell him. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Say it. We do it, right? Thank you, Lord. Whenever God does, thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. I also my, I told you my favorite prayer, Lord, help. I pray that often. <laughs> often. I'm on the phone with this atheist. Oh, I'm an atheist. I say, Lord, help. Okay, let's go. Amen? <laughs> Holy Spirit, let's go. Let's do this. Jesus' name. Amen? But know what? He's worthy to be worshipped, and we should be praising his name always and unashamed of him. Amen? By the way, I think when we get to people, you know, worship should be more somber. Show me in heaven somber worship. Can you show me a bunch of people? No. Bringing the house down in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Little this for heaven, for amen. Just come on. I just don't see that. that uh. Now, again, we want to do things decently and in order, and we don't want to take the focus off of God and put it on ourselves. But we ought to be bringing the roof down in this, in this cafeteria. Can I get an amen to that? Yes. When I go to India and they worship, there's 20 people, and there sounds like 500 because they've been saved and redeemed, and they're not ashamed of it. Amen? amen. Praise the Lord. He's worthy of it. Notice it says there he's worthy of all the glory. The word glory is praise and worship and dignity. All the honor is just esteem and value. And all the power, the force, abundance, the strength, all the meaning, it all belongs to the Lord. He's worthy of all of it. And by you, you will, your will, they exist and were created. God's the one who created you by his will, and he created you to have a relationship with you. And, and the world will never satisfy the thing that God created you for, which is to have a relationship with him. And that's why right now it's so tragic you have men becoming women and women trying to become men because they're, they think that this is not happy and this is going to make me happy. And all it does is make things a lot worse. And all the other things that people try to strive for, if I just get high, I can escape the, I can escape the, the depression of life. And, and what it ends up doing is it brings destruction. It makes things worse, not better. See, guys, what God has created you for is to have an intimate relationship with him, to know him and to make him known. That's what we're called to do. And you know what? If you don't know the Lord, there's that God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. Sex won't fill it. Drugs won't fill it. Money won't fill it. Fame won't fill it. Followers on TikTok won't fill it. How much you can bench press your 401k, the size of your house, the next vacation you want to go on. And again, some of those things aren't inherently wrong, but again, they will never satisfy what can only be satisfied by the one who created you to have a relationship with him. Amen? There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And my prayer that not one person would leave this room without coming to know him in a real way. Amen? So caught up in heaven, a reminder. It wouldn't go that far over. That went back. 
Caught up in heaven, a heavenly glimpse that impacts our earthly behavior. Number one, a reminder of our heavenly inheritance. Guys, we're going to heaven. Who's going to heaven? Praise the Lord. Secondly, a renewed reverence for the power and presence of God. Again, the good news is that while we will see him fully there, we have a glimpse of him now and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and we can take some of that power that we'll see in heaven to live our lives here and to be uh, salt and light to a lost and a dying world. Number three, a heavenly calmness in the midst of earthly storms. We all need this. We get to heaven, it's calm. It's peaceful. But he's the prince of peace. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have peace now. Amen? And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace. And so may we walk in peace. Number four, a deeper understanding of the greatness of our God. See, when God is great, then our, our, our problems are small. When our God is great, our trials and difficulties are small. When God is great, even our grieving is small in comparison to eternity. And again, the power that he has to transform our lives and to give us peace in the midst of it. And finally, a heart to worship and completely surrender. Guys, we need to have him be more than savior. He needs to be Lord. Not just to get out of hell free card, I put my wallet and go live like the world, but literally surrendering our lives fully to him. Lord, whatever the question is, the answer is yes. Amen? Whatever you want me to do, answer is yes. Wherever you want me to go, I'm in. However you want me to serve, I'm, I'm about it. Uh, divine appointments tomorrow to share my faith, bring them my way, Lord. I, help me be faithful. Amen? And that should be our heart as we seek the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this glimpse into heaven we got this morning in your word. And Lord, we long for the day when we will be there, and we will see you face to face. But Lord, until then, I pray that, Lord, in, in, a, in a small way, you would bring heaven down into our lives. That, Lord, we would live every day in light of heaven. Lord, in preparation for that day when we will be in your presence. And so, Lord, I ask that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and this whole thought of heaven is kind of foreign to you because you don't know the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm not asking you to join a church or any kind of a religious place but just to surrender your life to the Lord, to confess openly, I'm ready, Lord, to take myself off the throne and put you there. If that's your heart, just raise your hand right where you are. I want to pray with you. Anybody at all? Today be the day of salvation. God bless you, brother. Anybody else? Anybody else? The Lord sees your hand, brother. God bless you. Just pray this with me if you raise your hand. You can pray it silently or out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I come to you this morning. I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and he rose again. Lord, please forgive me for my sin. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen.